before I get started this morning, I just wanted to say again, I said it in the uh, bulletin, but I wanted to say again, uh, a special thank you to Matt for, for leading us in worship. Um, and, you know, um, one of the things that David does so well is uh, prepares the worship uh, the things that we sing, he prepares our hearts for the words that's, that are going to be preached. And Matt, you did a fine job. Um, uh, honestly, I could just read the lyrics to all the songs and you would almost have the sermon this morning. And so, uh, good job, man. I appreciate you. Um, I want to take this uh, just a moment this morning also to wish my mother a happy birthday. Happy birthday, Mama Linda. Um, it's a blessing to have her here with us today in our worship services. She told me several weeks ago that she wanted to uh, take a Sunday to come and worship with us and then also take a Sunday to go to Calvary in Fayetteville where my brother-in-law is now leading in worship. And um, so she had told me that, but she did not tell me exactly when she was going to come. And um, so I was really excited to hear that she was coming on her birthday uh, but I was also slightly concerned about the timing of it. Let me explain. Um, as most of you know, it was just over two months ago when I had the privilege of preaching my father's funeral. Um, my dad was a faithful follower of Jesus Christ, and his memorial service, frankly, was an amazing celebration of faith and family. And it was such a, a blessing to be a part of that. And um, it, it, was, it was awesome. Um, I had the opportunity to, to preach, as I, I called it last week, the unadulterated gospel message um, to friends and family, some of which really desperately needed to hear uh, the truth of the gospel. I also had the opportunity to celebrate the hope that we just sang about. Uh, Christ, our hope in life and death. And you know, we were able to celebrate that hope because we know that we will see my dad again someday. As Matt sang just a few minutes ago, when we all get to heaven. Um, you know, it was a wonderful time of worship together. And one of the, you know, if I, if I may say, it was one of the best services, funeral services, I've ever been able uh, to have the honor of attending. Now, of course, it was difficult emotionally, um, but we do not grieve as those who have no hope. Amen? And, and so my dad has now experienced the culmination of God's promises of eternal life. What an amazing thing that is to think about. And that is the message that we're going to be looking at today. So why was I concerned about the timing of my mom's attendance today? Well, my sermon text today is the same text that I preached at my father's funeral. Um, obviously, it's not the same sermon, um, but... Uh, it is the same text. You know, I had a responsibility to properly interpret the passage both then and now, but I think there is 
room for application in different ways. And so uh, my goal today is very much to bring you application for your life and how we need to live in the truth of the promises of God. So, Mom, I apologize. I actually said this before services, so I wouldn't catch her off guard. But I apologize um, that today's sermon is the same text as the last sermon you heard me preach. Uh, but I'm pretty certain that God is not surprised by this. And in fact, I'm pretty certain that he has ordained it to be this way. So, I invite you to look with me in the book of 2 Corinthians. We'll be begin our reading in chapter 4, verse 16. And as we have done recently and at different times, we're going to read the, the text in sections this morning. We'll begin with reading 16 through 18 of chapter 4, and then we'll look into chapter 5 as we go along in our, our message this morning. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can read along with me on, on the screen, or also, of course, if you want to use your Bible app, you can go to our interactive sermon notes on the YouVersion Bible app. You can find that through the events or scan the QR code in the bulletin. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, the Bible says, So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. The first thing that I want us to think about this morning when we think about the culmination of God's promises is the effects of eternal life. But I want us to think about it as the effects of eternal life in the here and now. You see, in the previous section that we studied last week, Paul proclaimed that the truth, he proclaimed the truth of the gospel, that God gives eternal life by extending grace to everyone. And that grace comes by faith for all who believe in Jesus Christ. And now here in verses 16 through 18, he shares with us the present effects of the eternal life that it has been given to us through Jesus Christ. And there are three things that I think that we see here in this text. That is that we are re reassured, renewed, and reoriented. Let's look at the last one first. We are reoriented. You see in verses 17 and 18, it talks about this light and momentary affliction that we're going through that is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory. And then it says we do not look on the things of the earth, but we look on things that are not seen. You see, having eternal life should bring about a different perspective in our lives. We should have a different worldview or a different view of everything that's happening in the world because we have eternal life in Jesus Christ. We should focus on things that are 
unseen or things that are have eternal value rather than the temporary visible things that we face each and every day. You see, folks, the situations and circumstances that often overwhelm us here in this life, if we have the proper perspective, if our perspective has been reoriented to focus on the things that are important to God, then those things that overwhelm us will seem like light, momentary afflictions. Now, it may not feel light and momentary, but I love what it says here in verse 17. When we compare what we're going through here and now to what we are going to experience in the life hereafter, it is no comparison to the eternal weight of glory that is awaiting us. Amen? The promise of eternal life should reorient us. When we think about all that's going on in this life, in comparison to eternity, it's just barely a blip on our radar. Just barely. That's why, that's why Paul tells us to be anxious in nothing. It's all okay, guys. It's all going to be okay. Don't be anxious in anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, make your requests known to God. He wants to hear what's overwhelming us. But more than that, he wants you to see things from his perspective. He wants you to see how all of this compares to eternity. So we are reoriented. The second thing that I notice here is that we are renewed. You see, it says that our inner self is being renewed. How? Day by day. Day by day. You see, even though these things are light, momentary afflictions, God realizes that it seems much more than that to us. You know, it's one thing to say, oh, it'll be okay. Don't worry about it. Everything's fine. It's some, one thing to say that, but, you know, if you're the one walking through those difficulties, for someone to say that to you, uh, you feel patronized, don't you? It's like, oh, you'll be okay, honey. Don't worry about it. Eh, I don't want somebody to tell me that when my world's crumbling on me. And I don't think you want to hear that either. But this isn't just somebody. This is... The Lord God Almighty, who has empowered us through his Holy Spirit and given us the ability to be made new day by day. He gives us his spirit to work in us, to renew us, to recreate us into his image. Just a moment ago, Matt read from Romans chapter 8, and there in verse 29, it talks about how that he has predestined us to be conformed to the image of God. We talked just uh, in the last few weeks about how that it is God's will for us to be transformed in our lives and become more and more like Christ. That's what this 
daily renewal is all about. It is a, a renewal that happens day by day. We can't get it all at one time to be forever and ever. It has to happen day by day. And so rather than wasting away, as it says here um, in, in verse 16, it says our outer self is wasting away. Literally what that's saying is that it's the decaying of our strength or our vigor, if you know that term. Our strength is decaying. We're wasting away. But Paul is saying that new strength and new vigor is being given to us as God is transforming us into his image. So rather than wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. So we are reoriented. We are renewed. The third thing that I see here is that we are reassured. It says that we do not lose heart. When we remember what we have by God's grace, we can be encouraged. When we realize that we only have to endure these difficulties for just a moment, we have that reassurance of hope in our future, in that life to come. You know what, folks? What I've discovered, though, is that too often people think of eternal life as something that will begin someday when they die. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible teaches us that we have eternal life. This new life, this new eternal life begins at the point in time we trust in Jesus as our Savior. It's not something that we just look forward to. It's something that we experience here on earth and will be fulfilled. The ultimate culmination of the promise of eternal life will come at the point in time when we die. But we have new life right now here if we've trusted in Christ. That's why John said in 1 John 5, 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Folks, it is a present tense verb. One thing that I have discovered in my study of God's word is that he is very specific and very careful about what uh, terms and vocabulary and grammar that he uses in his word. And he will put a present tense if he wants it to be present tense. Or a future tense if it want, he wants it to be future. Or perfect or past or whatever. The tense matters. He says you will. No. He says you have. You have eternal life. You know someday. I will have an inheritance from my earthly mother and father. Someday. Mom's very concerned about the fact that we will have an inheritance. Um, and we keep telling her, Mom, it's your money. Spend it. It's okay. It's no big deal. Um, but I will have an inheritance. But folks, my heavenly Father has already given me a down payment on my inheritance. You see, I can't experience the full inheritance today. 
Because I'm still in this world. I'm still in this body. I'm still battling the flesh. But he's given me a down payment. He's given me a guarantee of that inheritance. And that guarantee is a seal on my life. And that seal is the Holy Spirit of God living inside me. He was given to me the day I trusted in Christ as my Savior. And so that means I have eternal life. Not that I will someday have it, but I have it today because I have the down payment from my Heavenly Father. So because of the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives right now, in the here and now, our lives are not the same as they once were. Before I trusted in Christ, my life was different. I hope this past week uh, you had the opportunity to participate in a community group study and, and start working through a personal testimony and where we look at, okay, what was my life like before Christ? How did I come to know Christ as my Savior? And how has he changed my life as a result? All of us have a story. And I hope you're working on that because I want you to share that in your community group uh, this week. Um, I hope your community group leader actually gave you that information. If they didn't, then you can come tell me and I'll, I'll get on to them maybe. I don't know. I don't, probably not. But because of the Spirit's presence in us, we're different. So, as it says in verse 16, don't lose heart why because our spirits are being renewed day by day and all this stuff that can overwhelm us in our daily lives we need to learn to see it for what it really is what is it light and momentary afflictions that are preparing us for what we have to look forward to in eternity. So let's look at this next section of scripture and see a little bit more about our heavenly home. Let's read chapter 5 verses 1 through 5. The Bible goes on and Paul says, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to, to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So the next thing I want us to notice this morning is the promise of eternal life in the life to come. Yes, we have eternal life here and now, but we also have the promise of eternal life in the life to come. Life here on earth makes us yearn for the life that is to come. Have you begun to experience that in your life? And everybody that's a little bit older 
The older you get, the more you feel that, right? Um, and I don't want anybody to say, yeah, I really feel it because I'm really old. But, you know, but, you know, I didn't think about heaven that much 25 years ago. In fact, I'll just be frank with you. 25 years ago, which I was 24 at that time because I've not yet turned 50. Um, it's coming real soon, though. Uh, tw when I was in my mid-20s, I actually had these thoughts and these feelings of, you know, I don't want to go to heaven now. I, I want to I I grow up. I want to I experience life with my wife. I want to I see my kids grow up. Uh, I want to, you know, I want to do this and I want to do that. And 25 years later, um, I'd be okay with going to heaven right now. Absolutely. I would be a-okay with going to heaven right now. Um, if I live another 25 years, which don't count on it, okay? Um, most of you won't be here to see it anyway, so it's all good. I was saying that for you, Brother Steve. Pin, not Ketron, of course. Um, but um, I can only imagine how much more I'm going to want to go to heaven in 25 more years. Life here on earth makes us yearn for our heavenly home. And so long as we are in this body or this tent, as it calls it here in 2 Corinthians 5, the Bible promises us that we will groan. We will groan for our heavenly home. This groaning makes us long for our heavenly home. And the longer we live, the more and more people that we know and love are no longer going to be here. And so we're going to want to go and see them, right? But folks, I know that's true. But our reason for wanting to be in heaven should not begin with those people. The reason we, want, we should want to go to heaven, to exchange this earthly tent for our heavenly home, is that we should want to see our Savior, Jesus Christ. There's a great gospel song about this very thing. It's a, a song called, I Bowed on My Knees and Cried Holy. And the second verse of that song says, As I entered the gates of that city, my loved ones all knew me well. They took me down the streets of heaven. Such scenes were too many to tell. I saw Abraham, Jacob, and Isaac, talked with Mark, and talked with Timothy. But I said, Timothy, I want to see Jesus, because he's the one who died for me. And so I bowed on my knees and cried, holy. We groan so long as we are in this body, in this place, as long as we are alive on earth, we will groan yearning for heaven but praise god he has given us the holy spirit as the guarantee of the promise he has made us of eternal life i already talked about this i know 
But here our text brings it up in verse 5. He said that he has prepared us for this very thing. He has given us the Holy Spirit as a guarantee. Now this isn't the first time that Paul brings this up, even in this letter. If you look way back to chapter 1, Paul said in verse 21, And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. We have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. We have eternal life because we have the Spirit living inside us. Now watch this, folks. The gift of the Holy Spirit living inside the soul of every believer is the guarantee of eternal life. Remember, 1 John 5, 13. I have written these so that you may know you have eternal life. We know because we have that spirit in us. Now this week as we go into our community group studies, we're going to be talking about what our lives should look like if we have the spirit of God living inside us. And in your group, you're going to be focusing on what uh, the apostle Peter had to say about those things in his letters. But, but I want you to think for a moment about what Paul said about this subject in his letter to the churches of Galatia. In chapter 5, Paul said, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So folks, when we are able to demonstrate these characteristics of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. When our lives are characterized by those things, that is when we are allowing the Holy Spirit of God to manifest himself through us. We are demonstrating the characteristics of the Spirit when we give Him control over our lives. And we demonstrate these characteristics best when we allow the Holy Spirit to manifest Himself through what we say and through what we do. So I ask you this morning, how well are you demonstrating these characteristics in your life? It's not Well, I hope this is okay. I didn't ask her. Joanna shared something in community group recently. Um, she said when she was a teenager, she looked at this list and she tried to figure out how she could check these things off in her life. How can I be more loving? How can I be more joyful? Um, but what she realized was that it's not something that we can work to do, but rather as we walk day by day and the spirit of God renews us day by day. And as we live our lives 
for him day by day. It is something that naturally comes out as the spirit gains control. Folks, we can't manufacture this stuff. There's not one of you out here that's patient enough to be what God wants us to be without the power of the Holy Spirit. We all love very well. We love ourselves very well. But it's only through the power of the Holy Spirit that we can love as, as God loves. That we can have joy in spite of circumstances. And so forth and so forth. How well are you demonstrating these characteristics in your life? Let's keep going. We've got five more verses to read this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 6 says, So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage. And we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. The next thing I want us to notice this morning is the confidence of eternal life in now and forever. We have confidence and our confidence in it, of eternal life is rooted in faith. You see, we put our faith in Jesus, his death, his burial, his resurrection. And we put our faith in him to pay the penalty for our sins and to provide reconciliation with God. We have faith in his promise that the Holy Spirit of God will indwell our souls. And we, we have faith that he is the seal, the guarantee of that eternal life. We have faith that when we die, we will be in God's presence. Because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul talks about those who have gone to sleep, as he puts it. In other words, those who have already passed from this life into the next. And in 1 Thessalonians 4, I want to I read several verses here, beginning in verse 13. Paul says, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus... God will bring, those, bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with a voice of an archangel, and with the sound of a trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise First, then we who are alive, who are left, 
will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. And then I love what he ends this chapter with. Therefore, encourage, or the King James, I believe, says, comfort one another with these words. We, we need to encourage one another to realize that, folks, this life is not all there is. I mean, Scripture tells us, if in this life only we have hope, we are of all men most miserable. This is not all we have. We can be confident in our eternal life and our eternal destiny. Because, why did I say those separately? Because eternal life starts now. You already have eternal life if you've trusted in Christ. Our eternal destiny is our home in heaven. We can be confident in that. We need not worry about our eternal destin destiny, but rather we need to concern ourselves with the way that we live between now and then. That's what we need to worry about. Not if we're going to heaven. There's nothing we can do to earn or deserve heaven. It is a free gift of God. But once we have that gift, that not, does not come from ourselves, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, verse 10 says, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do or unto good works. We need to live our lives in such a way that honors God. We need to live our lives now in a godly way. Which brings us to the last point this morning, and that is the challenge of living life with an eternal purpose. It is a challenge to live life with an eternal perspective or an, eter an eternal purpose. Folks, so long as we are alive in this world, our goal should be to live in such a way that we please God. That's what it says, chapter 5, verse 9. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim, our goal, our purpose to please him. 2 Peter chapter 1 says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who, who called us to his own glory and excellence. What does that mean, Brother Wade? It means, folks, that we have everything that we could possibly need to be able to live a life of godliness. He has granted to us, he has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Everything that we need to live a godly life, we already have. We have the Holy Spirit of God living in us, indwelling us. And as I said over and over again in the sermon series that we did on the Holy Spirit several years ago, the God I never knew, if you remember that, I said this over and over again. I said, the Spirit inside us is better than Jesus beside us. The apostles struggled with that concept. 
They, they were, how can you leave us, Lord? Don't leave us, Jesus. And what did Jesus said? It's better for you if I go, because unless I go, the Spirit will not come. You see, the Spirit inside us is better than Jesus beside us. So we make it our aim to please him. But notice what it says next in verse 10. I read it a moment ago, but let's read it again. It says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Whoa, what's this judgment seat of Christ that it's talking about? What is that? Well, see, the judgment seat of Christ will be a time that will be following the rapture. You know, we just read about the rapture in 1 Thessalonians 4. How that Jesus will return and the dead in Christ shall rise first. And then all of his followers who are alive and that are still on earth will be caught up together with him in the air. And they will all go to be with the Lord. So what happens after that? Well, I believe that this happens after that. The judgment seat of Christ. You see, the judgment seat of Christ is a, a time and a place where believers will be recompensed for the things that they have done while they were alive in their earthly bodies. And that word recompensed, I know it's a, a deep word that we don't use very often. But one way of understanding that concept is uh, we will be rewarded, which is, which is pretty cool, you know. We'll be rewarded for all the good things that we have done. But recompensed carries with it not just the concept of reward, but rather we will receive what is due. And that may be a reward, but it may not. The Bible Knowledge Commentary says that this is going to focus on the good deeds that we do, and that will evoke one response, and then it will also focus on the bad or the worthless things that we do, and that will evoke another response. So let's think about these responses for just a moment. Paul wrote about these in his first letter to the Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5, he said, Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time. So he said there, there's going to be a judgment. Don't judge yet. There will be a judgment. He said, don't do it before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. The Bible tells us that God looks on the heart, right? He doesn't look on outward appearance. He doesn't look on the outward things that we do. He doesn't necessarily care about the show that we put on for everybody else. God is looking at our heart. 
And it says here that everything that is hidden in darkness will be brought to light. That should be sobering to us today, folks. Because the fact is, is that there, I, don't, I don't believe there is a person in this room today that wants their deepest, darkest secrets and desires shared with everyone. But it says, the things that are in darkness will be brought to light. And the purposes of our heart, the motivations of our heart, will be disclosed. And then we will receive a commendation. This is telling us that the good things that we do in this life, God will reward us. But if we back up one more chapter to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12 talks about both the good and the evil, or the good and the bad. 1 Corinthians 3.12 says, Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day. Do you, most of your Bibles will have the word day capitalized there. When it talks about the day, it's talking about this time of judgment says they will each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives he will receive a reward if anyone's work is burned up he will suffer loss though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Folks, I need to be very, very clear here because I do not want you to misunderstand this. After the end of times come, there will be two judgments. One is called the great white throne judgment. The other is called the judgment seat of Christ. The judgment seat of Christ is what we're talking about here. This is a time when all believers will be judged for their works, for their deeds that they have done on this earth. And those things that have eternal value will be those things that are made of gold and silver and precious stones that when they are tested in the fire, as it says here, they come out even better. But there are other works that it refers to them as wood, hay, and stubble. And when those things are tested in the fire, they're burned up. This in no way at all has anything to do with your eternal destiny or your salvation. Okay? This has everything to do with your reward when you get to heaven. The great white throne judgment is that other judgment that will take place. And there will come a day when 
Everyone who has rejected Christ as their Savior will stand before God and he will say to them, why should I let you into my heaven? And they will give him an answer. But unfortunately, on that day, he will look at them and say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, because I never knew you. That's the great white throne judgment. Not the judgment seat of Christ. A believer's salvation and eternal destiny will not be in question here. Because salvation is by grace through faith. But the good deeds that happen as a result of salvation will be evaluated on this day. At the judgment seat of Christ. The realization of this day of judgment had a profound impact on Paul's life and ministry. You see, it enabled him to persevere in the face of hardship like we read about in chapter 4 where it talked about, um, you know, we have this treasure in jars of clay. We're afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not destroyed. Hold it. Not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed. I jumped ahead. He endured those things. Why? Because he was able to. Because it motivated him to live the life that he was supposed to live. It motivated him to be faithful in discharging his ministry or doing the work of his ministry. And you know, we're, we're not talking about this this week. And actually, we're not talking about this next week or the next. Um, because we have guest speakers the next two weeks. Brother Donnie Parrish will be here for Life Word next Sunday. And Pastor John is going to preach on the 30th while I'm out on vacation. Um, so we're, we're, not, we're not going to talk about this just yet. But if you look at the very next verse. In chapter 5, verse 11, it says, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord... Folks, if there's anything that the, the realization of what the judgment seat of Christ is, if there's anything that should do, is it should give us a healthy fear of the Lord. Realizing what we have to look forward to. That everything about us is going to be disclosed, made known. All the intentions of our heart, all of our motivations... Everything will be judged by God to see as if our focus was the eternal value or the temporal value. Folks, we have all that we need to be able to live a godly life. What do we have? The indwelling of the Holy Spirit living inside us. We have all that we need to live a godly life. And we will be judged for the good and the evil deeds that we do in this life. A few moments ago as we were singing. Um, Brother Matt picked one of the songs that always makes me think of heaven. Um, and that was, yet not I, but Christ in me. And the fourth verse of this song, I just felt like, oh my goodness, this fits so well 
when we think about wanting to live the life that God's called us to live, wanting to live that godly life. That verse says, with every breath, I long to follow Jesus. For he has said that he will bring me home. And day by day, did you notice that? Day by day, I know he will renew me until I stand with joy before the throne. To this I hold, my hope is only Jesus. All the glory evermore to him. When the race is complete, still my lips shall repeat. Yet not I, but Christ in me. The judgment seat of Christ should motivate us to live life on purpose, focused on eternal value. That's why Paul says here in verse 11, knowing the fear of the Lord. Because we know the fear of the Lord, we ought to live our lives in that way. You know, frankly, folks, We live our lives however we see fit because we do not have a fear, a healthy fear of the Lord. Satan's greatest ploy, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, Satan wants us to just don't, not even to believe that he exists and that he wants us to not even believe that God exists. Because he knows if he can build in us apathy, then he wins the battle. I would challenge you this week to spend some time in God's word considering all the verses that you can find that speak about fearing the Lord. And if you did that, if you you found all of them, you would be a busy bee this week because there's a bunch of them that talk about fearing the Lord. If you just take the book of Proverbs, there's over a dozen. (laughs) Um, But there are dozens scattered throughout Scripture. But what does Proverbs say? Well, in chapter 1, verse 7, and by the way, all of these references are in the YouVersion Interactive Notes. Proverbs 1, 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, or the beginning of wisdom. Chapter 8, verse 13 says, The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Mm. 19.23 says, The fear of the Lord leads to life. 14.27 says, The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. 25.14 says, The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. 16.6 says, by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. I love that one. Folks, we cannot turn away from evil unless we have a healthy fear of the Lord. 15.16 says, better is a little with fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. 23.17 says, let not your heart envy sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord all day. 
how often do we look at people around us that are living their lives in such a way that is just despicable, and yet it seems like they're getting blessing after blessing after blessing? Don't envy them. Because when you get blessing after blessing after blessing in this world, it blinds you to your need for God. And that is not going to bode well for them in the life to come. Finally, in Proverbs 3, 7, it says, Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Folks, there are dozens of other verses throughout the Bible that deal with this concept of fearing the Lord. But I only want to share one more with you this morning. Pastor David is actually going to be preaching on this verse uh, next month. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, the verse says, Since we have these promises, remember the title of our message today is the culmination of God's promises, right? Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. So as a way to challenge you today, beyond looking up all the verses in Scripture that talk about fearing the Lord, as a way to challenge you today, I want to I challenge you from this verse. Let us cleanse ourselves, it says, from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of the Lord. Guys, it is God's desire for each one of us to live a life of holiness. A life that is free from habitual sin. A life that is characterized by the fruit of the Spirit. And a life that is being renewed through spiritual disciplines day by day. Folks, you cannot... Live a life for God and live a life of godliness unless you spend time in his word each day. It just can't happen. It won't happen. Would you take this challenge? And honestly, just as a final thought here, honestly, you see the order of this challenge. Live a life of holiness, free from habitual sin, characterized by the fruit of the Spirit, renewed through spiritual disciplines day by day. Uh, you can take that challenge and honestly reverse the order to make it happen. You gotta live a life of spiritual discipline, being renewed day by day, if you hope to start demonstrating the characteristics of the, the Spirit. And it's once you have started demonstrating the characteristics of the Spirit, which that final one, self-control, number nine, 
It's not progressive, guys. We should be doing all of them. But number nine, self-control. If we can get a hold of that, being, being controlled through the power of the Holy Spirit living within us, that's when we can have a life free from habitual sin. And that is when we will live a life of holiness. That's my challenge to you today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to come together and study your word. Father, I thank you for uh, the way that uh, you brought your word to us. And we thank you for the opportunity um, to hear what you have to say about our lives uh, in your word. And so, Father, I just pray now that as we spend these next few moments meditating on on the things that you've shared with us today. I just pray that your Holy Spirit would convict each and every one's heart that's here this morning and help them to see their need for living a holy life. Father, I just pray that as we walk through this week, uh, each one of us will focus on our need to be renewed day by day. Lord, help me to wake up tomorrow morning and spend time with you. Lord, help each one of us to do that each and every day. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.